And all God's people said, amen. Good morning. It's so glad that you're here. And you know, it is still snowing, Brent. How about that? I know, just like weird. It really is. But we're glad that you chose to worship with us today. And we are just right in the final quarter uh, of our prayer series today, Praying on Purpose. Praying, colon, on purpose. And we want to talk today about the Lord's Prayer, just the one you've heard. You know, when I was in the elementary school, now I know, again, time gets away from us, but honestly, it wasn't like the Civil War, okay? It, it wasn't like even World War I. In fact, I was born nine years after the end of World War II. For those of you who are here today, well, yeah, Dwayne, they did it back then because, you know, that was like, well, Moses was still alive. And, and no, that's not at all the case, but we would gather in our elementary school, and we began every day with, we, we would, you know, play the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, and we would pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we would sing some kind of a patriotic song. That's just what we did. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be my, thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then we prayed, and lead us not into temptation. Tucked away near the end of the Lord's Prayer is this small, very important part of prayer. In fact, I will tell you this, more important than you think. More important than you think. You see, I really think the problem with, with so many marriages and so many families and the problem with so many countries is that we don't get to the end of the Lord's Prayer and realize the significance and power of lead us not into temptation. I really think that in our prayer lives, it's not an answer prayer. You know, we all say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. That's not the problem. The problem is unprayed prayers. I looked at our prayer list right before I came in here. If I counted right, and that's always iffy, but I counted right, there are 47 names on our prayer list. 47 names. Can you guess how many deal with, and lead us not to temptation? Can you guess how many of them deal with any kind of a spiritual battle at all? Can you guess how many staff members are on that prayer list? How many missionaries are on that list? How many lost people are on that list? The best I could tell, that would be zero. And there's nothing wrong with 47 names that have sick people on a prayer list. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is what about the prayers we're not praying? What about the prayer that says, and lead us not into temptation? The biggest problem in marriages, in our country, in our lives today, are prayers that we are not praying. Then there's the flip side of that, which we're going to draw in today, is in the process of praying these, are not praying these prayers, nor are we heeding these, uh, these powerful warnings in the Bible. And you tie those two together, unprayed prayers and unheeded warnings, and, well, you've got a culture like we have in America. And you've got a church like we do in America. So today, we want to look at we want to look at what it means to pray, how we pray, and the warnings that Jesus gave, particularly one guy, but all 11 guys, all 12 guys, about prayer and about what happens when we don't. 
what happens when we don't. Now, of course, the part I've already said for us, and lead us not into temptation, is huge. Now, think back. Uh, first of all, probably, just for clarity, it would much better be probably translated and, and lead us away from tran- uh, temptation. You know, the Bible says in the book of James, uh, God tempts no one. So it's not like, you know, God's going to lead us in temptation and we're going, okay, God leads us away. The word can also mean testing. It can mean those two things. But it's, it's probably best translated, God lead us away from temptation. If you look back. If you look back in your life, some of your biggest and greatest regrets yielded to. If you look back in your life, some of the things that you regret the most are temptations that you yielded to. Now, I'm going I'm to be a prophet for a moment. Some of your future regrets are going to be temptations that you yielded to. If you could go back into your history and change anything, it would be this. Students, listen carefully. Some of the greatest regrets you're going to have are temptations that on a, a Tuesday night or Friday night or a Saturday night, you're going to yield to. And you're going to look at that and go, why did I do that? And we're going to look at that today. Why do we? And I think it really begins with the idea that we don't include this enough in our prayer life. Lead us not into well, let's look. Let's look at the idea. And you, you know, we've got to go to Peter. We've got to go to Peter. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to look at, at a strategic warning that Jesus gives to Peter, but he also gives it to us. And this is hugely important. So a strategic warning. Then, then we have a strategic prayer or strategic praying. And then we watch the world implode around Peter. And then we get to see the redemption, a strategic redemption of us and of Peter. You know, we like Peter. Peter should probably be every person's favorite Bible character because he's so much like us. Again, I told you when I watched the movie Risen, it seemed like every, every man I could go, oh, I, I can identify with him because they were common men. They weren't gold-plated church icons. They weren't men that we should lift up on a pestle and say, wow, they never failed. The truth is the Bible is filled with broken people that got unbroke. The truth is the men who followed Jesus were very broken guys. And they met grace. They met redemption. They met Jesus. Just like us. So, so Jesus approaches Peter And here's what he says in Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse number 31. He says to to Simon Peter, and I really couldn't find any significance. And because, you know, Jesus is the one who said, you know, you're really Simon, but for now we're going to call you Peter. And none of the commentaries and nothing I could discover jumped on the reason why Jesus said Simon here. Unless he knew that Simon was fixing to act like a lost guy, his former self. I don't know. But he says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demands to have you, they might sift you like wheat. And we've really got to pause and work through this. You know, first off, you understand something. When, when Jesus said, behold, Satan, you've got to understand that Satan is a real creature. In fact, the word Satan, and he has several names, uh, the devil, Lucifer, uh, he has several names. But the name Satan is the adversary of God. He is, he is God's chief opponent. 
And as we heard in Sunday school, but he is not God's peer. You know, I wrote down on my sermon sheet, and I want you to write this down. When you've got the word Satan, you circle that and you write it down. Remember this, he is created. And anything that is created is subservient to the creator. And God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everything, and Satan is not. Our God can be everywhere, Satan cannot. Our God knows everything, Satan does not. So you've got to understand that. He is an invisible foe, as we heard in Sunday school. He's an invisible foe, but he is a real foe. You've got to understand that. You know, I don't know if you can even recognize the graphic on the sermon sheet. But that's a picture of me and a couple of our mission team guys from about five years ago. And we're praying under a tree in Africa. We were in Mali. And we are laying hands on a man. And we are laying hands on that man because he has come and said, I am demon-possessed. Will you pray for me? Now, in America, that really bothers us. Because we think somehow that, that Satan and his demons went out of business when Jesus quit walking on the earth. Let me take you to Africa. Let me take you to Uganda. Frankly, let me take you to the streets of America. And some of the stuff that we write off as mental illness is nothing more than demon possession. I mean, we serve, excuse me, we serve a real God and we are opposed by a very real enemy. So Jesus says that this enemy, this adversary, demanded to have you, they might sift you like wheat. Now, the ESV, of which I use, is the only Bible translation that I could find who uses the word demanded. And I think that's too strong. Your, your, new, uh, your new King James and, of course, King James and some others, all the rest of them, and I think it's, it's like demanded is the third definition in the Greek word. The first is ask or request. I didn't want to give you the idea that Satan could walk up to the throne of God and say, okay, God, it's like this. I want Peter, and you've got to do it. No, 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 no. You see, the fact, the opposite is true. The fact that Satan had to request permission to mess with Satan, or see, with Peter, shows the power of God. The fact that Satan had to request permission to even mess with Peter shows the power of God. You have got to get it out of your head that Satan can come along and mess with you anytime he wants. I know people who walk around saying, oh, I'm so afraid that Satan's going to smite with, with cancer or do this or do that. Not without God's permission. God allows some things we don't understand, but he's got that old adversary, Satan, on a big, long chain, if you don't mind that analogy. And he doesn't do a thing without God's permission. We could go back and look at Job. And though you who know the Bible know that he came and said, I want to mess with Job. And God said, okay. Very similar here. You know, Satan comes and wants to mess with Peter. And actually not just Peter. He wants to mess with the guys. And God, for whatever reason, and we know part of the reason, said, okay. So, so the adversary comes and demands to have you. They might sift you like wheat. The word, the, the analogy there, the, the, the picture is that of crushing. The, the, the wheat would be rubbed in hands and thrown into the air. And the heavier grain would fall to the ground and the chaff would blow. And really? What's happened is, Satan is, Jesus is telling Peter, okay, Satan wants to, to rub with you. He wants to mess with you. And guess what? Satan wants to mess with you. I think sometimes 
We think that we're not important enough, we're not strategic enough to believe that the enemy of enemies would mess with us. You need to really get that out of your brain. Believe me, if you're a Christ follower today, you are strategic. And Satan will mess with you. When I started this prayer series about three weeks ago, some unusual things started happening. I think it was two weeks ago, but it might have been three. As I studied my final moments for the message, this fear came over me. I told David about it, and Brent, I may have mentioned it to you. That morning, I did not worship. I sat in that chair, looking this direction, praying, and said, God help me, God help me, God help me. It's generally speaking, I will not say eagerness, but there is to get the opportunity to preach before you. And I remember telling David that day, I didn't want to get on the stage. There was something going on that was bigger than this room. And I happen to believe it was a battle. I asked David, David, how was worship that day? Like pulling teeth, he said. You don't understand the battle that wages with eyes that we cannot see with against evil and good, against God and Satan. And because we don't understand that, we don't pray about it. And because we don't pray about it, Satan gets his way. Oh, he wants your children. You parents, you parents need to understand Satan wants your kids. And no matter how good of a parent you are, you don't have it in you to overcome the evil one. But our God is. Our God is. Oh, he wants your marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage. And we're going to talk about the fact, so often we say, never me. It wouldn't happen to me. I wouldn't do that. And we're amazed later on when we do that. He wants our church. He wants our church. He would love to see the generosity of this church destroyed. He would love to see the fellowship that we enjoy here destroyed. And that's why it's important that we pray. God, don't let us succumb to temptation. That wasn't the end of the story. A couple of weeks later, Judy and I... Generally speaking, we get along pretty good. You know, something like, you do this, and I say yes. It, it works. <laughs> now, just teasing, Judy. I'll, just teasing. But one night, and it just kind of blew up. Everything just kind of blew up. We were like this. And frankly, I guess we prayed together. I guess we did. I don't know. We kind of prayed together before we go to bed. I'm not sure, but I know one thing. I went together with not a, went to bed and to sleep with not a good heart. And I woke up, and me and God just talking, and I was trying to tell him why she messed up. I did. I'm just telling you the truth. And I walked in. I said, I'm not sure I got these words out, but the intention was clear. I guess I'm sorry. And then she said, well, I am too. And then we talked about it later. And we realized something. There was something going on that was bigger than a relationship between a husband and wife. There was a battle waging this week. This week, I dreamed. 
And I was in this room, but it was slightly larger, and the stage went all the way across. And I was laying on the floor right over here, and I was trying to sleep. No one was in the room. The room was dark. And I was trying to sleep, and something kept waking me up. And I woke up finally and looked around and realized where I was, and fear washed over me. And I said, I can't stay in here. I've got to get out of here. And so I ran all the way across the stage and down those stairs, and there was a door. There's an owl that lined up right there with that door, and I ran as fast as I could. The room was a little bit deeper than this, and I was running as fast as I could with just my socks on and, of course, my clothes. And I hit that crash bar, bam, and out into the foyer. And when I got there, it was darkness. And all I could see or hear, really, was a rattling, a rattling. I think it was the air conditioning vent. I don't know. And I woke up. Here's the problem. I woke up afraid. Literally. And it wasn't that someone was in my house. It was that Satan was in my house. I am so thankful there were lights on that night. We keep several lights on. I was afraid. I said, I might as well go to the restroom. I'm up. I was afraid to get out of bed. And I told you the next morning, there's something going on. I don't tell you that, that you might be fearful. I tell you that you might be aware that there is an adversary. There's a real enemy, and he wants you. You don't have to be a pastor. If you're a Christ follower, you're strategic. And Satan wants you. Because in the crazy culture that we live in, every failure matters. Every time a marriage ends in divorce, every time a child walks away from God, every time a person embezzles and steals, every time a person lies, in this culture, it matters. And it matters because our culture is crumbling. And all the world needs is one more excuse to not believe in Christ. So don't think today you don't matter to the enemy because you do. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Peter had an ally that, that Job didn't have because the Bible says in verse 32, but I have prayed for you. I, Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you that you your faith may not fail. I love this. Listen, listen just quick. This is Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. We have a Savior who bled and died and resurrected on the third day. But we have a Savior who lives to make intercession for his children. God the Son is speaking to God the Father on your behalf. Somebody say, that's just, that's just good news. We don't face this enemy on our own. We face it with Christ. <laughs> Hebrews in chapter 7 verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Who, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus says, Peter, the enemy wants you. But I pray that your faith won't fail. And by the way, it didn't fail. It wavered, but it did not fail. And, and he goes on and he says, 
I, I pray for you. And when you have turned again, when you have repented, when you have turned around, strengthen your brothers. Peter, there's something good going to come out of this. And in this wavering of your faith, you're going to be able to encourage those who are facing that very thing. See, I'm glad I got this story because, because when I fail, I can look back to a guy named Peter. And I see Peter, and, and Peter failed, and, and, and God used him anyway. And I look at Dwayne, and, and guess what? When I fail, God can use me in spite of my imperfections and failures. See, what Satan wants to do is, Satan wants you to believe that once you failed, you're done. One and you're done. And because of that, and in fact, we don't pray about this, he's victorious. And we hand the victory to him piecemeal. He goes on and says this, verse 33. Big warning, big warning. Peter said to him, to the Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Big warning. It won't happen to me. Those other yahoos that you called, and they call themselves disciples, they may fail you, but I won't. And please look me in the eye. If you're here today as a man, as a woman, as a student, as a child saying, it won't happen to me, you are a prime candidate for satanic attack. Peter, moments later, we're going to see this, moments later succumbs. His pride, in his pride he spoke and said, Thanks for the prayers, Jesus, but I don't need them because I'm invincible. No, you're not, Peter. And guess what? You're not either. You're not either. And again, if the consequences weren't so grave, this wouldn't be such a big deal. But I'm telling you, he wants to destroy you. He wants to take away your children. He wants to take away your marriage. He wants to take your reputation, your character. The stakes are huge. So be careful of pride. Now, I want to say something. I think Peter believed this. At his core, he believed he would not fail Christ. But Jesus later on, we're going to use it again, Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, you know, where, where Jesus says you need know, to rise up and pray, watch and pray, because the Spirit's willing, your heart's willing, but your flesh is weak. You are no match for Satan, but your Savior is. You are no match for Satan, but your Savior is. So, so we fast forward a little bit down in verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the roost will not crow this day until you've denied me three times that you even know me. Peter, you don't understand. In just, in just a while, you have spoken the words, I'll go to prison and die for you. You're going to even say three times that you don't even know me. Unprayed prayers can lead to disaster. If we don't heed the strategic warnings of Christ, it can lead to disaster. I've been your pastor for 16 years almost. I've been pastoring for 32 years. I've seen failure in my own life. By His grace, not the big ones, but by His grace. But I can tell you time and time and time again, the men and the women and the children who have walked in my office and said, I don't know how it happened. And yet Jesus said, Satan desires 
to sift us like wheat. So what do we do? We have to pray strategically. Again, I can't say it enough. We need to have 47 names on our prayer list. Please do not understand anything different. But why is it in America that somehow prayers are limited to those who are sick and dying? The limit should not be there. In fact, can I be very candid with you? And I challenge you. When you read the Old Testament, there's much more strategic praying about the kingdom and strategic warfare than there is for sick people. I'm not saying do away praying for the sick. I'm praying we better find time. If you love this country, if you love your family, if you love your children, if you're serious about their welfare, we better find time for strategic spiritual warfare praying. We better. We better. We're all wound up about who's going to be president. We better get our face before God and pray strategically. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, if we fast forward just a little bit to verse 39 in Luke 22. We're familiar with this because we talked some about it. The Matthew version. So Jesus came out and came out and went as his custom was to the Mount of Olives, the press, the press, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, "Pray that you may not enter into temptation." Morning number one. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that you are an overcomer over. Temptation. There's, you know, I would tell you, I could tell you lots of ways to be overcomers in temptation. I can tell you ways that fail and ways that succeed because of my life experience. But I can't stress enough to you the importance of strategic praying about being an overcomer of temptation in prayer. We've got to be prayer warriors for the spiritual things that matter. So Jesus said, listen, you need to pray. And you need to pray that you enter not into temptation. Now, he arose, verse 45 now, and when he arose from the prayer, he came to his disciples and found them what? Sleeping for sorrow. I did a little studying on that. Apparently, the gravity of the situation is beginning to soak in. And they're, gonna, they're beginning to understand that Jesus is going to Jerusalem and things are not going to go well. He's told them several times, but they just didn't get it. They're starting to get it. And when it says that they were sleeping from sorrow, they were so overwhelmed with grief grief and stress that they're exhausted and fell asleep. You remember this. Remember this. The times that you need to pray the hardest is you'll be the most tired. You'll find the times you need to pray the hardest times to pray. There you go. That's clear. The times you need to pray most, you'll find the most difficult to pray. Now notice Peter, uh, Jesus' example. Jesus rose from prayer. Is he under stress? Absolutely. He is facing the cross. He's facing becoming sin. He's facing the wrath of God. He's facing all of that. Oh yeah. His human side, he knew stress. But he was praying. And in his human side, he was facing all those, those physical emotions. But the guys, they were sleeping. When you need to pray the hardest, you'll find it the most difficult. Well, the Bible says 
So he said to them, why are you sleeping? He wasn't being harsh. He wasn't trying to be a, a bad guy. He wasn't trying to make them feel guilty. You know, I'm so tired of all we hear about is, well, God just put a guilt trip. No, we put our own guilt trips. And Satan puts our own guilt trips. God's not a guilt trip, God. He wasn't trying to make them feel guilty. He wasn't being harsh. But he knew the harsh reality. I'm telling you, we need to recognize the harsh reality. There is an enemy. He is real and he wants you and your family. He wants our country and mostly has it. Be careful. Be careful. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Rise and pray. Again, the Matthew version, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray. Be alert. I'm telling you guys, it is time we get serious with this prayer thing. And somewhere beyond praying for the sick. Praying for the lost. I mean, we have some missionaries that are in a very difficult place. We need to pray for their safety. In fact, can I just be honest with you? No matter where these missionaries are these days, it's dangerous. Some Wycliffe, four Wycliffe translators murdered over the weekend. Satan, the enemy, is getting fired up. And we need to pray strategically for our family, for ourselves, for our missionaries. We need to pray strategically for the lost. Someone saying that. I mean... How many lost people do you regularly pray for? Not being harsh, just facing a harsh reality. How many lost people do you pray for on a regular basis? That's a serious question. So Jesus says, he says, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That you would not succumb to temptation. I love this verse. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things, you know, we're hearing more and more about the end times. You know, I, I'm going to tell you because I'm such a prophet, I'm going to tell you when Jesus is going to come, when he gets ready. And it may, be, it may be today, there's nothing on the calendar that says it can't be today, and it may be 100, it may be 200 years. I don't know. But I do know that the end of, we're a lot closer than we were 100 years ago. And he says this. The end of all times is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. So we had a strategic warning. We learned about strategic praying. Now, what happens in Peter's life? And you know this story well, so we won't need to spend a lot of time. Let's go through it. We're going to jump down to verse number 54 of Luke 22. The Bible says, and they seized him, him being Jesus, they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. I've learned over the years in preaching to not, let, not force the Bible to say something that it doesn't say. And I'm certain in my preaching career and a lot of good pastors have jumped all over this following at a distance. That's not the main point. The truth was, you know, Peter was falling at a distance. But I think I can authentically say this too. That's never a good idea. In fact, I can say this. At this point, listen carefully. At this point, 
Peter has gone from disciple to curious onlooker. He's not following Jesus out of loyalty. He's following Jesus because he wants to see what's going to happen. May I propose you today that too many Christ-likers are exactly like that? Christ-followers are exactly like that? That we follow Christ not as disciples but curious onlookers? Wonder what God's going to do today, if anything? We need to be serious disciples. Followers of Christ. Learners of Christ. Appliers of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not, James said, not hearers only, but doers of the word. At this point, Peter has shifted from being a disciple. And he's following, and he's falling at his distance. Fear, yes. But he's gone from disciple to curious onlooker. And the Bible says, And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down among them, Peter sat down among them. Say what you want. That's a dangerous place. I have to believe that Dr. Luke included this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for a very specific uh, reason. And that reason is he's in a dangerous place. Now let me tell you something else I I believe the scripture teaches. That is this. Satan is strategically placing Peter where he wants him. It would have been better for Peter to run away and been by himself than sitting with the enemy next to a fire. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, these words, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The bottom line is this. Peter had no idea sitting in the enemy's camp. I'm not trying to make the Bible say something that doesn't. The bottom line is he shouldn't have been there, and guess what? Neither should you. It does matter. Students, it matters who you hang around with. The companions of fools suffer harm. The wise, those who walk with the wise become wise. But when our companionship is people with different core values, different beliefs, mockers of God, we place ourselves in a very dangerous place. And Satan is good at that. He is strategic also. Be careful. Be careful. They may be your best friends. They may be your best neighbors. But they can listen that you don't go. Now, we can't isolate ourselves. Do you understand? You know, you know your pastor's heart. I mean, if we're going to win the world, we've got to be with the world. But my closest intimate friends, the one I share most intimate things of life, I need to be careful who I choose. And students, that's certainly true in your case. So be very, very careful. Be very careful. So they sit down with the fire. And again, you know this part of the story, so we're just going to read through it. So a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. One. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are like one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Two. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Three. Does that amaze you? Do you see how naturally it happened? Do you see how easily it happened? How, how does that come about? One. Pride. 
when Satan starts setting us for the big one, the big failure in our lives, he will convince us that we can handle it. We don't need God. I know how to parent. I know how to do marriage. I'm in control. I can handle it. (laughs) No, you can't. And secondly, he did not, he has pride, he did not heed the strategic warning. He didn't pray. Watch him pray. Watch him pray. Watch him pray that you don't enter into temptation. You know, I've often thought if I could share with you how I pray and that silly clock that y'all put up there, you know, <laughs> I thought it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> Speaking of time, I, I'm always worried about being braggadocious, but I'm, let me just tell you something. I will tell you dead in the eye, look at dead in the eye and tell you this, that your pastor prays every day for God to guide his steps. I pray for these silly eyes not to be used to sin against God. And I pray for these eyes to see people like people as Jesus does. And for me to see circumstances as my father sees circumstances. I pray for my ears that I would not hear the voices of condemnation and negativity. Thou will not hear the voice of Satan that says you are what you are and you'll always be what you were. I pray for this old brain to think on the things of Philippians 4.8 that are true and just and right and not the things that Satan throws my way. We've got to pray strategically. We've got to pray strategically. Well, Verse 60, immediately when he was done speaking, the words were still in his mouth. The rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now again, don't think for a moment. Don't think for a moment. Don't think for a moment that Jesus is looking at Peter going, Oh, Peter, you stabbed me in the heart, bro. How do you know that, Dwayne? Not one time did Jesus ever put himself first. The look that Peter saw in the eyes of Jesus was pain and hurt for Peter, not for himself. Again, don't think for a minute that God's up in heaven going, Oh man, you failed me again. Oh man, shouldn't let you in the family. I knew that graceful thing was a bad idea. I knew it. Don't believe that junk. Don't believe that garbage. When Jesus looked at Peter, his heart was breaking for Peter. Because he knew the hurt and the pain that Peter was going through. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Behold, the rooster crows today. Before the rooster crows today, he will deny him three times. Am I the only one in the park who might be thinking, I wonder who helped him remember? I don't think it was the Holy Spirit. I don't think Peter all of a sudden had an excellent memory because of his elephant-like brain. I think there's an accuser on board. Peter, do you remember what Jesus said? Peter, you're a failure and you'll always be a failure. Peter, God can never use you. I believe that Satan had Peter right where he wanted him by the throat. And in brokenness. And later repentance. The Bible says he went out. 
and wept bitterly. And I think Satan said, mission accomplished. What he didn't count on was God's amazing grace. What he didn't count on, Satan, was that failure is not final. What he wasn't counting on was that God wasn't done with Peter. And I got news for you. God's not done with you yet. (laughs) Yeah. Would y'all please clap for that? I just think that's awesome. Because see, listen, how many of you are sitting here saying, listen, Satan's whispering in your ear. He did it this week. He did it a month ago. And he said, you're done. Stick a fork in you. You're done. You fell on your face. You're done. How could God love you after you drug the cross through the mud? You're done. He wants you to believe that lie. And it is a lie. Because God's grace, God's grace, God's grace is sufficient for me. There's a verse. It's on your sermon sheet. The last verse, again, we'll try to teach it, but I love it. I love it. Psalm 37, 23, 24, you must memorize this verse. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, God is directing your steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in his way. And even if he fails, even if he falls, he will not be utterly cast down. Because God picks him up with his strong Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> I'm like the guy who never quite learned how to ride the bike. I keep falling off the bike regularly. And I'm glad there's a father who reaches down and says, Dwayne, you don't have to stay down. I'll pick you up. I'll pick you up. And he does. So can I challenge you today? May I challenge us today? That we might begin to understand and pray strategically. Would you be willing to carve out part of your prayer time and pray for your marriage and your family and yourself? Praying that God would guide and direct your steps, that He would lead you away from temptation. And don't be surprised when you go to the water cooler and she's there. You know who she is, don't you? It's the girl in the office, the woman in the office, who you can't keep your eyes off. Don't be surprised if you walk toward the water cooler and she's there and all of a sudden you're not thirsty anymore. Come on now. Don't be surprised. Because there's some... There's some prayers that God likes to answer. And he just loves it when his kids get before me and say, Hey, God, I want you to direct my steps today because I'm pretty weak and I need you. I need help. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when your 14 or 15-year-old is about to drive you nuts. And all of a sudden, you've got patience that you didn't know you had. All of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to love and push away. And, and that guy you're married to that you can't stand? Don't be surprised if all of a sudden, you feel love for him again. 
I serve a big God. <laughs> Find time to take my coat off when I'm done. But I serve a big God. I'm just, listen, I'm through this, I, I'm just starting to believe it could happen. I just started to believe that God will hear our prayers and answer. I'm starting to believe that if God demands revival through America, that's not too late. Would you be willing to carve out time for strategic prayer for you, yourself, your country, your family? And would you be willing to heed the warnings? You know, I, I looked up several things. Warnings are everywhere. You get in the car and your little seatbelt light's flashing. And you say, oh, I want to wear my seatbelt. They tell me, but you know, five minutes later you're in a crash and no reason your life's because of your seatbelt. People turn in front of trains all the time and the bells are going off, the gate's down and you're in a hurry and you drive around the gate. Bam! Warnings are everywhere. Are we willing to heed the warning? Let, let me close with this illustration. In January of 1983, 1986, I was still in the Air Force. And the Thunderbirds, which are the aerial flying group for the Air Force, were practicing that day. And the maneuver was four aircraft straight across, wingtip to wingtip. They were to go up, do a backflip, basically like you would on a diving board, come all the way around, level off at 100 feet, and go straight across the crowd. And of course, in this case, it was a practice. They were trained to follow the leader, Thunderbird 1. On that particular day, as they came over the top, the rudder jammed on the lead aircraft. And they waited and waited for him to pull up. And he never did. And all four aircraft slammed into the ground. All four men died. And I promise you that every warning system in the cockpits were saying, pull up, pull up. But they followed the leader to their death. They did exactly what they were trained for. They were not at fault. But the truth is, they allowed their training to override common sense. Don't let Satan override your common spiritual sense. Pray strategically and heed the warnings. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you so much for your patience today. Thank you for listening. Guys, I, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about this. I just feel like the enemy wants so badly to win. And he's already defeated foe. Only The only victory Satan gets is the ones we give him. Now, if you're here today, and we went to the cross a couple times, but you didn't hear as much today as you normally would. But it all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. This time of the year, we celebrate what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He bled, he suffered, he died, that we could have forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin was death. He died in our place. In regards to how rich or poor, your skin color, 
how big your sin list is, no matter what you've done, His grace really is sufficient. And He wants, He desires to forgive you. My friend Brent will be standing down front, and we'd love to share with you about Jesus Christ. Uh, for me, it was like 41 years ago. It's just an incredible journey. It has. I failed Him. He's never failed me. It's awesome. But if you're today and you're a Christ follower, if you're a dad, Dad, would you be willing to pray strategically? If you're a mom today, maybe a single mom, would you be willing to pray strategically? Students, would you begin to carve out part of your busy days and pray strategically that God would lead and guide you in your journey? Employer, would you be willing to pray that you strategically that God would guide your business and be the Lord of your business? For your employees, would you be willing to do that? These are prayers that God loves to answer. Lead us, not into temptation. God, thank you so much for this privilege. Holy Spirit, we sang before this sermon began that you might fill this place. I am acutely aware, Holy Spirit, that it's you who draws men and women to the Savior. We pray you'll draw. It is you who speaks to the hearts of men, dads and moms, children, students. I'm praying you'll speak to our hearts about the significance, Father, of what we've heard today. Have your way. And Jesus, I pray this in your blessed name.